Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. These series of messages in the morning, in the book of Hebrews, as well as the book of Proverbs, Proverbs when we went through that book before the book of Hebrews, I've asked Stanley to call them not only expositions, going through and teaching verse by verse, but uh, to call it devotional expositions. Because the idea is to study the scriptures in an attitude of worship to strengthen our relationship with God. It's not merely analyzing the scriptures. For that reason, we don't go through every single word. But we look to the Lord to highlight what is necessary for our souls to be faithful to Him. Um, early in the morning, I was reading again the article that I posted. Once saved, always saved, or eternal security. I went through it again, and it was refreshing to read. And so many scriptures were brought up to show how we have absolute security if we would walk in the light. I encourage everyone to read that article over and over and over again till it becomes a part of your fabric. So you are armed with the Word of God which can fight against the tempter when he comes, just like he came to the Lord in the wilderness of Judea. That any time the enemy comes to make us feel comfortable in even one degree of backsliding, the temptation to water down the seriousness of the commandments of God. Anytime we get tempted by the tempter, we are able to use the word of God skillfully and cut down his lies, and thereby keep ourselves safe. The soldier has weapons, but the weapons do no good to the soldier. He can be armed with all the guns and ammo and grenades and all these things that are used in warfare. The latest equipment and the latest weaponry. The soldier himself can be very capable with a build and an athletic ability that may be uh, of high caliber. None of it will do any good in battle against an enemy. An enemy who may come, after all, with maybe a, just a dagger. No sophisticated weaponry. 
The enemy may come even with no weapons, just his brute strength. And if that enemy should come to attempt to choke and overthrow this soldier that's so well equipped, the soldier that is equipped with so much advanced weaponry and ability, can get easily defeated if he doesn't use any of it in battle, when the battle comes. So on the one hand, we need to be equipped. We need to be trained, fit for battle. But when the moment comes, when the devil sends people, when he sends confusion, he tries to. And many times it happens through people who are agents of the devil under Christian guises, disguises. When we hear preachers, when we hear people, Christians, quote-unquote, will be able to pick up immediately, this is contrary to the scriptures. How? That article I read, on one side always saved, or eternal security, I'm armed with dozens of scriptures, scores of scriptures, where the Lord has kept me sober and alert, and I'm going to use this weapon of God's word to shoot down the enemy's lies. Because if we're not equipped, we don't take the time to avail ourselves of the equipment available. In my former city employment, there was a division where there would be a collecting agents. I was not one of them, but collecting agents, they could not carry their weapons home as a police officer. But they had to check in before the tour of duty and collect their weapon before they go to help collect the money from the various uh, machines that collect the money, the fares. And they had to go for training to keep on top of their ability to wield that weapon skillfully. If they fail to collect that weapon at the beginning of the tour of duty, the criminals will pick up on that. And he may have a uniform, but he's not equipped with a weapon. They can be destroyed that day by a thief, by a robber, by an assailant. But the presence of the weapon keeps the criminals at bay. That too, if the individual appears to be very slothful, not alert, the enemy picks up on that. This person is not alert. And the person doesn't even look like he or she can handle the weapon. And become an easy prey, though equipped. Training is necessary. But the exercise of the skills developed, the availability and that's the first point. When the word is available, 
I must devour the word till it becomes part of my weaponry. And I must be on alert to exercise the ability God has given at the moment it's necessary. What good is it to train all year long and when the moment of truth comes to defend the truth we're all scattered and confused and begin to try to exercise our passion and say no, 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 that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. No use of the word. What use is that? What good is that? We need to become skillful handlers of the Word of God. The Lord is equal opportunity. Every single believer, the moment he or she is born again, becomes a soldier in God's kingdom. By default. We're born into a military family, if you will. We are immediately entered into the ranks of the soldiers in God's army the moment we become born again. But the skill level and the ability largely depends upon our appreciation of what God has provided, the intensity of concentration and training, then the understanding that it's given for use. These are not some uh, moot training or moot weaponry they're meant for use it's not pretend it's for real the way we use it is when the enemy tries to come to our minds and hearts to deceive us when we hear messages or somebody speaks to us directly very very critical God can use you when you use the weapons properly not only to keep yourself safe but to save others from the assault of Satan others who are held captive to open their eyes. Hallelujah. Let's uh, strive. Because God encourages us to use the weapons. I encourage everyone to read that article. Whether you're in the life training school or not. And that's why I posted in the church group as well. It'll do so much good to your souls and prepare you to be armed with the scriptures. And you can be used by God. It's the greatest thrill. Not only to keep yourself safe in the truth and make it to heaven. That's how important that word is. The correct teaching on eternal security. But also God can use you to devastate the kingdom of darkness and save many people. I've seen that firsthand. Now we spoke about collecting or gathering the weapons that God has made available to be armed with that arsenal. We spoke about being trained on how to use it skillfully and then on being alert, not lazy, but armed and ready, armed and dangerous against Satan. God wants us to move from those people are, who are just inducted into his army, born again, to go through the training according to his schedule so we can become the leaders. Generals in God's army, the only way that can happen 
is if we love the captain of our salvation with all our hearts, with such a passion. And every word that he speaks is like the refreshing dew on the mountains. We just absorb it. We love him. We thank him. We're excited. Say, Lord, equip me, Lord. Train me more and more. Make me skillful. And make me to be one that you can use to be sent right into the heat of the battle against Satan and rescue people from the devil's snares. Having said this, we see in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 that sin can blow up everything. It can just completely nullify Everything that God is trying to do. A great cloud of witnesses in chapter 11. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, make sure that you don't allow any sin, especially the one that is so easy, easily used by the devil. to trip you up. The word witness, as you may know, means actually it's a term used for martyr. Not everyone was a martyr in the traditional sense. David was not a martyr, but he lived the life of martyrdom. What does that mean? Every Christian lives a life of martyrdom to a certain degree. Death to self. Death to the world. Paul said, I'm crucified to the world. The world is crucified to me. Everything that I used to do in the world, every appeal from the world, the lust for money, the lust for power, the lust for self-gain and pleasure, these things are of the world. And... Uh, world passes away, it says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And the lust thereof, but the one that does the will of God, lives forever. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. When I see things, when I'm attracted by my eyes to things, It can be an avenue to sin. It doesn't have to be. I can look at an object, I can look at a vehicle, I can look at a house, I can look at furniture, I can look at clothing, I can look at many things in this world and appreciate them and be thankful to God. I mentioned yesterday, consider how long we spend on our nails or hair or external things. It was clearly mentioned that God will direct every believer. One person may need to spend a long time to fix uh, a certain part of their appearance or their creaturely needs. It's between them and God. There's no one to judge. But the Word of God does judge our hearts to expose whether we are overdoing it in the sight of God. In other words, is my attention to the externals in this life and to my body 
my attention to clothing and external things in this life, that attention, is it proportionate in a divinely balanced way to the attention I must give to my soul? And that is the crux of the matter. Every one of us must answer that to the Lord. Every one of us has that, the great privilege and delight to say, Lord, I have given the attention due to the body you've given me, to take care of it, to the clothing, to use it to adorn your doctrine, Lord. Of what? Holiness? Righteousness? Love? To use these things, external things, even money, the Lord Jesus said, use that unrighteous mammon to do what? Win friends. How? So that they may welcome you into eternal habitations. Use it to establish God's kingdom. Use it to further God's kingdom. To really help people. Not to buy people, in the sense the world uses that phrase, but to help people. To win people over to the Lord. And in the process, we actually set up for ourselves a greater inheritance in heaven. It's all kingdom-oriented, spiritually-oriented. The sin that easily besets us. And the New Living Translation, it reads this way, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of martyrs, I must be one of those people. Perhaps not a martyr in the traditional sense of the word, or the express use of the word when we think about those who give their lives literally on the line of defending the faith and living for God, but they live a life of self-crucifixion. I'm crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. How important it is, brothers and sisters, to hear the word continually because one of the functions of the word of God is it keeps washing us. Any dirt and any false notion, feeling, or doctrine that we can pick up, the Word of God washes us continually, keeps us clean in our thinking, in our attitude, in our focus. Therefore, we are, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. For some it may be anger. It's a very dangerous and <coughs> annoying self-hindrance. It can just ruin everything. It can come over someone like a wave and it can affect their thinking, their judgment. Just like when someone's consuming alcohol and uh, it just flushes the body. And you can see it in the skin color sometimes. It just permeates every part of their body and affects their judgment. And that's why there are laws against driving while intoxicated. It impairs the judgment, can destroy the life and destroy other people's lives. Anger is 
such a spiritually toxic substance that if it's not checked, can ruin everything. Can you think about your life? Times when anger just tripped you up so badly that you came up out of that particular situation completely wasted, not able to think right, perhaps damaging people in the process, and uh, truly regretting it and thinking, what has gotten into me? Why did I do this? How did I not have control and how did I lose control? Something that's very real that can trip us up. I know what it's like. And there are demons involved when we give in to that emotion unchecked by the Spirit of God. In the book of Ephesians it says, be angry and but don't sin. But in many, many other places, such as in the book of Proverbs, and in the New Testament epistles, as well as in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 5, Ephesians 4 and 5, many places it's written to get rid of anger. So what does it mean, be angry and don't sin? If on the one hand it says get rid of anger, the other hand it says be angry, don't sin. And we also see that God gets angry. The Lord Jesus as a human being, the Son of God in the flesh, he got angry too. There is this phrase we've heard, righteous indignation. There's a, such a thing called holy anger. And that anger is not a, a vengeful, self-centered defense mechanism, but it's aligned with God's purposes. Anger, when we see the devil wreaking havoc in someone's life, anger against Satan, Anger against the devil's agents or even people who were walking with God but they became proud. They began to sin against God and began to be people used of the devil to spread lies and destroy other people. There's an anger. There's a righteous anger. Paul got angry. But it wasn't the type of anger that we're used to feeling or hearing about in this world. It was not about him. And it wasn't something that was not controlled. First of all, the anger that's allowable in Scripture, we see when we read the whole of Scripture, is a righteous anger. And that righteous anger, secondly, is controlled by the Spirit of God. And the result of it is constructive in the Kingdom of God, not destructive. Someone may get angry at an intruder trying to hurt their family. And with that, 
righteous anger, unprovoked. Criminal comes in, tries to destroy the family. There's righteous anger and an immediate response to that. Similarly, spiritually speaking, there's righteous anger when our brothers and sisters are being slaughtered. When some lie has come in, some imposter has come in, some snare of Satan, we see Satan with the presence of the devil. We get angry instantly against that presence. We must be that way. But when anger is carnally induced, and it is a carnal expression, it becomes destructive to us and others. That is one thing that can easily trip us up. Very easily. Anger against other brothers and sisters. Anger against people in general. Anger against the traffic. Anger against other motorists. Motorists on the road. When somebody violates the laws and a motorist engages in dangerous moves. For example, you see, as I've seen very often, especially in the city, cars racing each other, mostly youngsters, weaving in and out of lanes at such a high speed that at any moment a tremendous accident could occur. There's a righteous indignation, there's an anger that these people are jeopardizing not only their own lives but everybody else's lives on the road. There's an anger against that. They must be stopped. How dare they do that? Why are they doing that? But that righteous indignation doesn't translate into a carnal expression. We begin, to, we begin to press the gas pedal and go after them ourselves, thereby jeopardizing our lives and others in the process because of an anger that has gone out of bounds. Or an anger that translates into cursing, profanity and such a frustration that Murder begins to flash in the eyes and in the heart. We can translate this all to any situation. We may be at the bank, we may be in school, we may be at work, on the road, we may be among family members. We need the Holy Spirit to control our emotions. We need to yield ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm just dust. Very often anger is an expression of pride. And that's the danger. But if I know my place before the Lord, I'm just dust. I can't even breathe without the grace of God. Let me be humble. How humbling it is when we are in the hospitals. How humbling when we have a medical condition. It's very humbling. For most people. But there are a group of people, no matter what pain they go through, it seems they don't change. Their pride is intact. How dangerously controlled they are by a devilish anger. But we think, Lord, you are God. I'm just your servant, Lord. I'm just a soldier in your army. I'm following your orders and I'm in line with your will and I want your emotions to dominate me. Lord, help me, Lord. Please help me to never let anger trip me up. 
It's said of a famous evangelist, used mildly of God, from Britain in the early 1900s, that he had this problem with this temper, and he specifically fasted 10 days, and said, Lord, this will not do. I cannot have this. He gets so angry, his, his countenance will change. His, his whole demeanor will be as if he's possessed. And he was, not with evil spirits, but this emotion is unchecked. It was bordering on that. It, it could go into that where the enemy takes over completely, but he was a child of God and this thing was not dealt with thoroughly. And he came to a point early in the ministry when he recognized this is going to trip me and everybody up. It's going to be a tremendous hindrance, hamper the work of God. And it's ugly. I don't feel good. It destroys me on the inside. I regret it. I don't know why I'm doing this. Why is there no control in this? He fasted 10 days specifically for this anger. He believed and he was so sincere and he put everything he had into it in seeking God for del deliverance, literally. There are some people who need deliverance from anger. Why? Because we know that the kind of anger they have, it trips them, trips them up to the degree that it becomes destructive. Very destructive. In various degrees. It can lead to murder. The Lord traced this in Matthew 5. He said, He can be in danger of hellfire. The kind of anger against someone without cause especially. Or just cause. Don't be angry with your brother. Don't start calling him names and saying things. Saying you empty head. Some people use the word I-D-I-O-T very easily. F-O-O-L Totally outside of God's will. Fool is used in the Bible quite a number of times by God himself, by Jesus, by the apostles. But it's not used in a derogatory term to put somebody down. It's used to reveal that they've been foolish. And to say other words, or even that word fool, there's a spirit behind that. And does the Lord want us to use such a word? Is it in context where it's justifiable by God? Is God speaking through me to warn someone? Or is it just me wanting to use the word flippantly because I want to put somebody down? Is it an expression of my personal anger? These are the questions that can sift through the motives of why we say what we say and why we do what we do. And it can prevent us from being tripped up by this thing. We want to look for fruit in our lives and the fruit of repentance, number one. So, since we're surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses, have we died to ourselves? Is the martyrdom 
first of all, seen in our crucifixion of self. I'm crucified to the world and the world crucified to me. All the stuff that the world has, all the, the nature of the world, the way they do things, the way they think, the way they speak, the way they express themselves. Do I appear as, I, as if I don't belong here? I should. Because I'm a stranger to this world. Since I got born again, not before that. Before that, I mingled in quite well in the neighborhood with the family. But all of a sudden, something's changed. There's a distinctive quality that I'm controlled by God's love, by His wisdom, by His Spirit. And anyone can say that. Oh, yes, Pastor, I'm born again, and I have a new nature. Hallelujah, amen, and just rah, 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 and rally behind all these chants and cries of positive statements. God's not concerned with that at all. He wants to see who's really a sheep, who's a goat. A goat can try to pretend to be a sheep, but that nature is manifest, and so the fruit is necessary. If I say, yes, I agree wholeheartedly, I have a new nature, amen, and I, anger can't get the best of me, amen, we can say that, but if we say it with faith, and humility and integrity out of holiness and love. There's meaning to that shout and proclamation and declaration and affirmation. Because the fruit of it is manifest in the life. But if the same ugly tendency keeps coming up and we think that we can uh, battle that and overcome that by shouting positive things, it's useless. It's akin to the soldier with the weapons who, don't, who doesn't even know how to use it. Doesn't use it. But he's on the front lines singing the Star-Spangled Banner with a great melodic voice, whether it's a soprano voice or a tenor. I mean, the beautiful voice Every note and pitch perfect. But he can be a singer for an opening of a baseball event. Or sing for the president, such a skilled singing soldier. But he'd be shot down within seconds if he thinks that shouting that star-spangled banner as a patriot is going to make everybody cower in fear, all the enemies scatter. Oh, look at him. He's singing that song again. The bombs bursting in air. Our flag was still there. Everybody run. He's starting to sing that song again. No. It's the weapons that will make the enemy flee. The use of it skillfully. And so to shout God's word and to declare things without knowing how to use God's word to destroy the enemy from within. The flesh. And one of the main manifestations of that flesh is anger. It's a very debilitating, deadly emotion. But the righteous anger, it's constructive. How? Even when the Lord stepped into the temple to cleanse it, He began to cast people out and overturn the tables. It seemed to be disordered. Now He's bringing order. How? Just as when someone sweeps the house, you disturb the dust. But then you collect the dust and you take it out. The place is clean. The righteous anger will cause upheaval of evil. 
of that which is displeasing to God. It will expose because the righteous anger is coming from the light. Expose darkness. It's concerned with the kingdom of God. Defending the honor of God and establishing God's order. But the other anger is all, all about me. And how I can exercise my pride. How dare you do this to me? Who do you think you are? And it becomes uh, vengeful, destructive, and rude. And all these things. I speak from experience. Having been at one time the servant of sin regarding this very thing. Very, very demonic, destructive thing that can come upon a person if we have the doors open. And God understands what things may lead to it. And He understands the ignorance we may have. But today, at least, we know that if we have a problem with it, we need to go to God and surrender it right there. The weapons of the devil must be burned before we can get the weapons of God. Repentance must precede the blessing of God. So this is one thing that can easily trip up many people in the race of faith. There are many other things. But consider this morning whether you've ever gone to God to ask Him to remove this thing that seems so controlling over yourself and destructive also to yourself and others. Say, Lord, the anger can begin as an annoyance. The Holy Spirit will show us. Now you're getting annoyed. What's the motive behind this? What are you going to do about it? Why are you annoyed? Is it justified? How many times the Lord's convicted me over the years? That you're not justified in this. You may be used to doing this. You may be in public transportation and somebody speaking too loud. Why? Because you need to concentrate. But it's a public place. And you're in a car where it's not a quiet car as they label some cars. You can get annoyed, but be careful. Is it justified before God? We can know exactly where we stand, whether we are running successfully the race. You see, because it starts with these things, the basics. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Let's continue. Don't give in to unjustified carnal anger. And keep pressing in for more patience, more love, more power from God to do it right. Hallelujah. How do we do it? By keeping our eyes, the next verse, on Jesus the champion who is the author and perfecter, the author and finisher who initiates and perfects our faith. 
because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. We know we have an inheritance. We're headed for a place where there's no unrighteousness whatsoever. We're getting trained for heaven. We're citizens of another kingdom and we're so excited. I can't wait to be with my father when there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, but also no more sin. It's amazing as I have quoted the words of that song that I've heard and sung in some faith-based centers and churches. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. It's important. God has not given me a spirit of fear but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Fear is from the devil, but the fear of the Lord is from God, to keep me safe and bold as a lion, to do the right thing. To know my future is secure in Christ. He's with me. He's defending me. He'll take, he'll take care of me. He will rescue me. Hallelujah. I'm no longer a slave to fear. But before that, I must confess and sing, I'm no longer a slave to sin. Many, many people who are under oppression over the centuries have gained great consolation in the words and revelation and in songs that uh, include those very words in various forms. Namely, I'm going to a place where there's no more sorrow, no more tears. God shall wipe away every tear from my eye. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. No more hunger. No more pain. Hallelujah. Oh, to dwell with God. In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand, pleasures forevermore. Having the armor of light now, we will enter into perfect light forever. To live with God. Where he'll be the temple. He'll be the light. God coming and tabernacling with man. The ultimate. We're headed for that. But we must also remember. Heaven is a place where there's no more sin. You can't find unrighteous anger there. So if we're going to prepare ourselves as a bride. Fit for our heavenly bridegroom, and to live with him there forever in his house. We must get ourselves ready to make sure we're qualified. We can't bring unrighteous anger into heaven. So we're called in this race to consider diligently as the Spirit of God exposes to our own hearts the things that are just keeping us back, tripping us, getting us bruised unnecessarily and hindering our forward advance. For others, it may be a strong temptation of immorality and the perversion that comes into the mind. Never checked and never destroyed and crucified. No matter what they do, this snake is there keep on biting them and they keep getting stung by the poison it can lead to hell just like unrighteous anger as Jesus said in Matthew 5 he mentions both 
quite explicitly in Matthew 5. He said, therefore, if your right eye offends you, something's offending you, it's a stumbling block, pluck it out. Destroy it. It's better to enter heaven with one eye than to have two eyes and turn to hell. If your right hand is giving you trouble, causing you to sin, cut it off. Better to enter heaven with one hand than to have two hands and go straight to hell. What is the Lord saying? As the Spirit of God identifies in each of us, if there's something that is hindering our race, something that can trip us up, so the understanding here is it's not just something that will make me slow down a little bit, potentially can disqualify me altogether. Isn't that right? A runner that doesn't follow the rules a basketball player uh, keeps engaging in fouls, are receiving the warning from the referee or whoever it is, in whatever sport, endeavor. On the job, if there are violations, we may get pardoned and given a pass initially, but if it keeps up, we may be fired. So we understand that it's not simply a matter of, well, this is tripping me up so I'm a little bit hampered and I'll get, I'll get up again, I'll, I'll be on, on again. Referring again to Samson, it may come to a point where the Spirit of God is so grieved because we're taking it so casually. We don't understand the depth. We don't care to understand the depth of the destructive nature of this thing that's tripping us up. That He may leave us to our own devices altogether. So there's an exhilaration, there's an excitement who for the joy set before him, the Lord endured the cross, despised that shame. We don't have anything to do with it. This is cheap living. The given to anger. Oh God, but it's controlling me, Lord. I would like to despise it, but it has a hold on me and I need to destroy it, Lord. Help me. Then I can despise it. Same thing with immoral thoughts person that hasn't crucified and gotten rid of jealousy. This almost instinctive reaction to another woman by a Christian woman whose clothing is attractive or the way they carry themselves or their hair or whatever it is. This immediate eyes of envy in action. Nobody can see it but it's beginning, it's smoldering within. It has to be crucified. Immediately we have to say, I rebuke you, Satan, get out. Get out in Jesus' name. That's not from God. Let that person be. That person is blessed with such and such, or I perceive it to be nice. Let it be. God bless them. And sincerely saying from the heart, I am made in the image of my Creator. God made me beautiful. I have everything I need. And if some changes need to be there, well, God knows what to do, when to do it. And I'm looking to Him. If I need some supply of something, God will give it. I'm at peace. Hallelujah. I'm at peace. Same thing with a man, with a man, or whatever it is. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. 
I have learned to be content no matter what state I'm in, said the Apostle Paul. There's no room for jealousy, even in the slightest degree. If I find it, I have to pull it out immediately like a poisonous weed. I have to. Otherwise, I can be doing Bible studies, I can be praying, I can have group prayer and individual prayer. I can do a lot of things and wonder why I'm so spiritually weak. I'm not making progress, really, truth be told. Others may think I'm making progress, but within me, I feel very weak and lean. Because the sin that, that so easily trip us up, beset us, has not been dealt with. And we have to deal, it, deal with it at the roots. God will help us. God is here to encourage us. He loves us. He's the greatest encourager. He says, you're my child. I know you can win. Hallelujah. I know because my seed is in you. My spirit is in you. My word is available to you. You can kick this unrighteous anger out of your life permanently. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? You believe my word? Will you come to me so I can help you? You don't have to think another immoral thought. The devil may come to you through dreams, try to get you when you're not conscious fully. He can't trip you up. You curse that thing in Jesus' name. You're a holy child of God. You have nothing to do with the perversion of this world. You're mine. You're married to me. You're special. Don't stoop down to the filth of this world. Never did you any good, never will. Only serve to destroy you. Hate it. Take that which is good that I give you, the best. Envy, let it not be named of a saint. All kinds of things are associated with that and can come out of that. Pride. Speaking negatively of the blessing God has given you. Envy can lead to murder. Somebody said, I will never, I would never think of killing someone who has something better than me, even though I desire it. I desire that thing, or I wish I had it, I wish they didn't have it. And down that path of murder, to the point, I wish that person falls and trips. You know, I wish that person doesn't have that. I wish they get robbed. I wish somebody punches them in the nose, and they won't be so beautiful anymore. God have mercy. Such things are not ridiculous Uh, statements that have no truth behind them, they can actually come at lightning speed within a human being who has never uprooted jealousy, never content with what God has made them and given them. At the same time, there could be pride also. I'm number one. The moment we see someone, despise them, have an air of arrogance, this opposite satanic persuasions say Lord I don't like this in me why do I have eyes of pride why do I look down on people why do I have an inferiority complex why do I have all these things junk from Satan from the world Lord I belong to you I'm satisfied Lord that I have your spirit your seal of approval washed with your blood I'm being made perfect. I'm happy with my Jesus. My Jesus and I, as the song goes, that God gave Pascal. My whole passion 
to stay close to my Lord and to love Him. Everything I've got, because His love is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. He will help me. i got to believe, collect the weapons, be trained, give myself, be diligent, show up, use it, read it, memorize it, be ready, armed and dangerous against the devil, and use it for the glory of God. Use the weaponry of the word and faith to destroy these weeds and these weights these cumbersome hindrances. Just throw it off, the Bible says. Throw it away, it's trash. You run in a holy, loving, humble, honest way in this race to win the prize in Christ Jesus. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be the Lord. God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, blessed be the Lord, God Almighty, who reigns forevermore, who reigns forevermore. Who reigns in me forevermore? To you belong all the glory, Father, honor and praise. Abba, Father, the one who gave us salvation, the one who purchased healing, by stripes were healed. Oh, my Father, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Keep us from the hour of trial. And deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I thank you. Amen.